good to see you all here this morning. And if you plan on joining us this Wednesday night, and I hope you are, we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel 11. And we noted the last time we were together that there's a bit of a transition in the text where we go from the triumphs of David to the trials of David. And he fails the test uh, terribly in 2 Samuel 11 because he stayed home when it was time for kings to go out to battle. So encourage you to come on out as we'll look at the story of David and Bathsheba. Also, just a word of encouragement. I'm glad to see you all here this morning. Everybody got plenty of toilet paper and water? (laughs) That's good, I guess. Interesting, I have learned more about viruses than I probably ever really wanted to know, and I've been studying uh, significantly about the composition of them and all the other things we're all curious about. And one of the other things that I found to be of interest of late is the declaration of a state of emergency here in the great state of California because we have one, had one person die. And I thought, well, what's the big emergency about declaring a state of emergency? And the fact is, it's kind of curious that in recent months and years especially, one thing has been almost a unified, agreed-upon reality of the day in which we live, and that is you can't trust the media. And now all of a sudden the media says something about this, and everybody believes it. And indeed it is very strange. But this one thing I found to be curious, and that is that when a state declares a state of emergency, They can bypass the system and all laws and all regulations. And in essence, it puts the governor in complete power. And he can call for a quarantine. He can put us on lockdown. He can declare martial law. And he needs no approval to do it. And believe me, there is something behind all of this that's going on in our world today. And I was telling the band in the back, I believe that this is a test run by those in global power to see how far they can go in controlling the whole world. And indeed, we are seeing global economies affected by this in radical and significant ways. Listen, one person has died in the great state of California, and that is horrific, that is tragic. We need to be praying for their family for the loss of their loved one. But listen this morning, there are 40,130,000 people that live in California. There are less than 500 cases in a country of 325 million. And the percentage of people who have died for the flu, by the flu, listen, more people died from the flu in the last two weeks than have died from the coronavirus all over the world since December 31st when it was first announced. So listen, there is an agenda without question. So what do we do besides buy 7,000 rolls of toilet paper and 50 million <laughs> bottles of water? We wash our hands. We, when we're sick, we stay home. Shay, our worship leader, is sick. He stayed home. Thank you, Shay. We don't want it anyway, right? We pray that he recovers quickly, but that he also not spread the bug that he has. So... Indeed, we live in amazing times. We live in a time that in my mind, if there is one takeaway by all the aftermath of the coronavirus hype, it is that the world can be controlled by the media. 
And the fact is, the world is ready for one man to rise to power and say, here's the deal, do what I say, and the pump is primed, and all this hype is indeed fueling the fires around the world and affecting global economies. Now, I've been watching my phone all morning because there is an announcement that is possibly being made right now that Israel is going to quarantine all visitors from California, New York, and Washington State for 14 days upon their arrival. I got a text from Amir this morning. He said, if that goes through, your trip is going to be postponed for this year. So obviously this has an impact on us and many, many other people and the economy of Israel, the economy of California, the economy of the airlines and certainly the cruise ships and all these other things that are going on in our world today. So with all that said, what do we do? Well, we're going to find out this morning. Are you ready? Open your Bibles to Acts 25, Acts 25, 13 to 27 will be our verses for the day. And last time we were reminded of a critically important truth that is just as true today as it was two weeks ago. And it will be just as true tomorrow and the next day and the next day as long as we are here on earth. But it won't be true in heaven because it won't be necessary there. And that truth was weapons formed against us will not prosper. Somebody say amen. amen. Now we quoted from Isaiah fifty four seventeen, from which our title was taken, obviously, that no weapon, say no weapon, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which speaks against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And the righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And we noted last time, that Isaiah 54, 17 basically outlined the actions and response of the Apostle Paul in chapters 22 and 23 in the opening 12 of 25 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Weapons against Paul in the form of an ambush did not prosper, even though they were organized twice during his imprisonment. And the fact is, the tongues that spoke against Paul in judgment, he condemned. And this is his heritage as a servant of the Lord. And he made a declaration as being just that, the Lord's servant, as one who had been declared righteous by him. Now, we also noted that Paul had been kept prisoner for two years in the Praetorium. By the time he had spoken with Festus, and like any of us, of course Paul would rather be free. But hopefully, like all of us in our difficulties in life, Paul made the best of his time and he shared his faith with others, including those in high places. Now, our takeaways last time were three. God is sovereign even over the places we'd rather not be. He's sovereign right here and right now. Amen. And we were reminded that enemy advances are not enemy victories. The enemy didn't have victory over Paul. Paul had victory over them. Some weapons formed, uh, some weapons won't prosper because we don't let them. And as we said, Paul, being a normal human being, certainly would have rather been at home or even more likely out on another missionary journey than in prison. And yet even that weapon formed against him did not silence him or send him into a spiritual or emotional tailspin. 
Now, Paul may have been handed off as a prisoner from Felix to Festus, even though the chief priests and the leading Jews who had pursued Paul from place to place, none of these things prevailed against him. Now, we also noted that Paul was asked if he were willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before Festus. And Paul said no. There was a planned ambush against him. So again, that weapon didn't prosper because Paul didn't let it. He used discernment from the Holy Spirit to say no to this offer uh, to return to Jerusalem. Now we have a new pair of dignitaries that are introduced to us in our text today. And we will meet these individuals for the first time. But let me say this, we are no stranger to their family. In Matthew 2.16, we're told about Herod when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men. Wise men were exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all male children who were in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Who was Herod trying to kill? Trying to kill Jesus. And in all districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Now, the man that we're going to meet in our text, along with his sister, Bernice, is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who sought to kill Jesus. Herod's grandfather that we'll meet in our text, Herod Antipas, is the man who had John the Baptist beheaded. And Herod's father that we'll meet today, Herod Agrippa I, was the man who imprisoned Peter and the man who killed the first of the apostles, James. And now Paul finds himself standing in front of a man who was a descendant of those who had created great violence against the Lord and his people. Now, have you ever felt like just when things couldn't get any worse? I'm sure that's very appropriate for the day in which we live. And I have refrained uh, from offering titles this morning like, here we go again, or from bad to worse, because I think we need something positive today, don't you? Now, listen this morning. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter how the enemy may plot against us, Here is our word of counsel and wisdom from the word of God this morning in the form of our title. And we need to, you ready? Keep looking up. Keep looking up. And this is why the psalmist would tell us in 121, 1 and 2, I will lift my eyes up to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. And then he's established as the maker of heaven and earth. Now, reminder that Psalm 121 is the second in the Psalm of Ascents when Jews were making their pilgrimage to the three feast days that were, were required to be attended within the boundaries of the city itself. And this psalm was recited or sung on the last night of the journey when Jerusalem was in view and the Temple Mount in sight. Now, I think that's important for this reason. I believe we're about at the end of our journey. I believe the church age is about to come to an end. I believe we are about to ascend to meet Jesus. And we are going to descend with Jesus seven years later and join him in ruling the earth. And the fact is, we need to keep looking up. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. Now, we're not going to hear from Paul in our verses today, but the chapter is all about him. And as we mentioned, he has gone from being uh, under arrest by a Roman commander. He's been examined by two Roman procurators, and now he's going to stand before a local king, and his next stop is going to be in Rome 
before the most powerful man in the world, Caesar himself. His captors were getting more and more powerful by the moment. And this is not unlike the situation in which we live today. Paul said in the last days, perilous times will come. Are we living in them? He said the love of many would grow cold. Violence will fill the earth according to Jesus. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, ethnic tensions, plagues, famines and earthquakes and atmospheric anomalies all around us. So in the midst of all this, what do we do? Keep looking up. Let's learn how to do that from Acts 25, 13 to 16 will be our first set of verses and then we'll finish off the chapter as we go. Would you stand and read with me, please? Acts 25, 13 through 16. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has the opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. And Lord, we recognize there are many charges being laid against us today. Lord, we're called bigots and haters and all sorts of things. Those who believe in fantasies and the weak-willed and all these other things that are labeled at us today and thrown at us today. And Lord, so I pray that our time this morning, in the midst of all we see happening in the world, would cause us to lift our heads and look up because our redemption is nigh. We give you thanks for the things we'll encounter this morning. In Jesus' name we ask them. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the man introduced to us today, along with his sister Bernice, is Herod Agrippa II. He's about 30 years old at this point in time, and he ruled the territories of northeast Israel, and he was assigned the title of king, even though he was under the headship of the Caesar in Rome. He was a friend of the Roman imperial family, and he was assigned the task of appointing the Jewish high priest, and he had also been made custodian of the temple treasury. And his background made him the most qualified to hear the case of Paul, as he was well acquainted with the Jewish religion. Now, I think that's worth mentioning because it reminds us what was going on then is also happening in our world today. At that point in time, because a politician had been assigned the appointment of the high priest and given custodianship of the temple treasury, that tells us the government was trying to control Judaism, just as the government is trying to control Christianity today. And the fact is, this is nothing new. We saw uh, in the history of the Catholic Church, the Pope was appointed for hundreds of years by a political leader or a king. Now, should the government be in charge of religion? Absolutely not. Certainly not the church. Now, I'll remind you this morning of something you already know, but something I like to say. Jesus is the head of the church. And he is not going to be dethroned. There's no election coming. He doesn't need government approval. He can't be removed or voted out of office. Now, 
As far as Roman jurisprudence was concerned, Herod was outside of his jurisdiction. So he couldn't render a verdict on Paul's case. But the fact is, he could be great help to Festus in coming to a conclusion and crafting a letter that would be sent along with Paul to Caesar. Now, he and his sister Bernice had come, uh, obviously, to meet Festus. And Festus tells Agrippa of how the case wound up before him, what he told the chief priests and the elders concerning Roman law that an accuser had to, uh, an accused had the right to face his accusers. He also said the death penalty was off the table because Paul had done nothing to violate Roman law. Now, let me remind you of something from the book of Revelation in 12, 10 to 11. John says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused him before our God day and night, has been cast down, and they overcame him by what? The blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, obviously, the context of what we just read in this group described as our brethren are tribulation saints. And obviously, the last line gives us the implication that is clarified later in Revelation that they were killed for their faith in Christ during the tribulation by the means of beheading. But what we also need to note is that they overcame the accusations of the devil by the same way we do by the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony. And as the men before whom Paul stood became higher in position, higher in power, as he worked his way through the system, so to speak, though we have yet to hear from Paul, we can be sure he was well aware of who the Herods were. This man's actual name is Marcus Julius Agrippa, or Herod Agrippa II. He was the last of the Herods to rule And his family was Idumean, or they were Edomites, the descendants of Esau. But his mother, however, was of a Greek heritage. She was a Cypriot. And Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, was close to Herod. And he reported that actually Herod Agrippa and Bernice, brother and sister, lived and traveled in an incestuous relationship. Now, that's just the kind of person you want in charge of your religion, right? Now, many people in positions of power today are trying to tell the church what they can say and what we can practice and what the church does with its finances. And the opposition is growing in power by the day, just like the progression Paul experienced. So with all that, are you ready for some good news? Here it is this morning. Listen, keep looking up. Our accusers are no match for our advocate. Keep looking up. Our accusers are no match for our advocate. And an advocate, obviously, is one who is called to stand alongside another or someone who is called to another's aid. And John gives us a reminder about our advocate in 1 John 2, 1, where he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Listen to what we have learned thus far. Claudius, Felix, Festus, Herod. It didn't matter who the opposition was. It didn't matter their position. None of these things were of any consequence because Paul had a promise from the Lord. In Acts 23, 11, Paul was told the following night, the Lord standing by him, 
Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness where? At Rome. Was Paul in Rome in our chapter? No, he was in Caesarea Maritima or Caesarea by the sea. Paul knew that as long as he was outside of Rome, the enemy could threaten him, plot against him, try to assassinate him, call witness against him, hire orders to accuse him. But Jesus said he was going to testify of him in Rome. And that's exactly what Paul was going to do. Do we have any such promise as the accusers in opposition rise up against us today? I'm glad you asked, because yes, we do. In 2 Peter 1, 2-4, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us, next two words, all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these... You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I hope you caught that phrase, that we are partakers of the divine nature. That means that as those who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as born-again Christians, we enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. Because we have one who comes alongside, even when we fail as an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that means that as opposition grows, there is help for us from the maker of heaven and earth, which is why John the Beloved would remind us in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children. Remember, John was writing when he was in his 90s. So he referred to the rest of the body as children. And have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is that still true today? Of course it is. Now listen, in these perilous times, keep looking up. Our accusers are no match for our advocate. And that's where you say, Amen. Amen. Now let's look at 17 through 21. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Now Festus is con- uh, continuing his summary of events before Herod Agrippa II. And he recounts the fact that, you know, as soon as I arrived, I sent for Paul immediately. And I also sent for the accusers from the uh, Jerusalem council when they arrived. And he tells Herod, the accusations weren't exactly what I expected. They weren't against Roman law, but they were against their own religion. And some guy named Jesus who was killed. And Paul said he had actually risen from the dead. And by the way, Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, Festus, interestingly, then bends the truth. Can you imagine a politician bending the truth? I just, beyond comprehension. Festus bends the truth and he says, because of my uncertainty regarding these religious aspects, I sent him or wanted to 
put him before you before I sent him to Caesar as he has appealed to Caesar. Is that what happened? No. He wasn't confused about the religious issues. At least that wasn't why he held Paul. Acts 25, 9 says Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor. And he answered in Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and be judged before me concerning these things? So there wasn't any confusion. He was just doing what many do. And that is he was putting himself in a favorable light before one who had more power than he. Now, as we look back over the events of our last three chapters, we see a pattern. Ananias and the elders lie to Claudius Lysias. Claudius rearranges the truth to Felix. Tertullus repeats the lies of Ananias and the elders in court. Felix is summoned to Rome for corruption. Festus remembers, misremembers the facts according or before Herod Agrippa. And it sounds like not a whole lot has changed uh, since Paul's day, at least in the sense of uh, the political system. Now, in Luke 6, 22 to 23, Jesus says, blessed are you when men love you. When what? When men hate you. Does that not imply that they're going to? Well, of course it does. And when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, which is what we always do. For indeed, your reward is great where? And then he adds this, for in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. And then we find in Luke 6, 26, he goes to, as far as saying, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now, we've mentioned through 1 Peter 4, 12 many times how Peter says, don't think it's strange that you're going through a fiery trial as though some strange thing happened to you. We're not going to be strangers to trials. There weren't very many amens there, but we'll just keep going. We're not going to be strangers to personal attacks. We're not going to be strangers to all the things that we see Paul go through and Jesus go through. But the fact is, it's interesting that Jesus goes as far to say that all people speaking well of us brings woes, not blessings. Now, blessings, he says, are attached to being hated, like Jesus, like Paul, excluded, like Jesus, like Paul, having your name considered evil. Come on, I gave you two clues. Like Jesus, like Paul. So what do we need to do in times such as these? Here we go. Here's our second truth. Listen this morning. Keep looking up. The truth will prevail in the end. Keep looking up. Excuse me. The truth will prevail in the end. Now, something we skipped over momentarily in our first section that we need to observe is that verse 13 said, after some days or after a length of time or spans of time, Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea. Then we're told after many days, Festus told King Agrippa about Paul. Now, what was true during this incarceration under Felix and now this extended period uh, under Festus was what Paul said in 2413 of Acts, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. Then in Acts 25, 7, we're told when he had come, 
the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not what? They couldn't prove. And then we're told in 24, 27, after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix and Felix wanting to do the Jews a favor left Paul bound. So here he is, two years in prison without any justifiable charges against him, nothing provable leveled at him. He remains under arrest for some days. And after Agrippa arrives, he remains under arrest for many more days before Festus even mentions the matter to Agrippa. Now, whether Paul did or not, we read things like this and we wonder, how long must the righteous suffer under the hands of the evil? Well, Jesus reminded us it's been going on since the days of the prophets, and it continues even to this day. And therefore, we are not exempt from such things, but we also need to remember what's coming as we made the point with our point. In Matthew 13, 40 to 42, Jesus said, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him what? Let him hear. Listen, Revelation 16, 4 to 7 also tells us then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your Judgments. Now we need to remember Ezekiel 33:11 says the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he prefers that they would turn from their ways and live. Those who do not, those who perpetuate lies, be they political, spiritual, biological, physiological, theoretical, or any other kind of lie that denies biblical truth, will be judged and punished by our righteous Lord if they don't repent. Now, is this true? Can Jesus be defeated? Absolutely not. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Truth cannot be defeated. If Jesus is the truth, he cannot be defeated. And even though the enemy makes advances at times, he will not because he cannot ultimately prevail against the truth. Listen, Satan didn't win at the cross. That was his greatest defeat. Death was conquered at the cross, his great weapon that he uses to strike fear into the hearts of men. So what do we do in the rising tide of anti-Semitism and animosity against Christians? We keep looking up because the truth will prevail in the end. That's where you say, Amen. amen. Now, let's finish off with 22 through 27. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium 
with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. To send a prisoner to Caesar Augustus was what he meant. Now, Agrippa and Bernice used the opportunity to underscore how important they were, or at least in their own minds. Now, the Greek word pomp means showy display. And the Greek word is actually fantasia. And it means fantasy. They were living in a fantasy land. We might say that this pair were legends in their own minds. Now, the word commanders here is plural, and a commander was one who had charge over at least a thousand Roman soldiers. So there were at minimum a thousand Roman soldiers present at their entrance into the auditorium, along with the principal men or the important people, at least in the world's eyes, uh, present when Paul arrived and Bernice and uh, Agrippa were introduced. Now, it's safe to assume that the pair donned their royal robes and Herod certainly would have worn, worn the scarlet robe showing he was a representative of Rome, uh, typical of state occasions such as this. And it's before this scene that a man small in stature, that's what Paul means, small or little. Tradition says Paul was extremely bow-legged, which would contribute to his smallness in the eyes of those who were viewing him. And he was bound with a chain and he was presented before Herod and Bernice and all their regalia. Luke is trying to draw a picture for us, highlighting the contrast in the scene between King Agrippa and the one who declared the risen Christ. Festus then presents Paul to Agrippa and states he couldn't find any valid charges among those of the whole among those made by the whole assembly of the Jews in Jerusalem, and Paul had done nothing deserving of death according to Roman law. Now, Proverbs 18.16 is an interesting verse. It says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I wanted to include this for two reasons. First, to note that God moves in ways that we could not understand or plan or even concoct in our own thinking. Look at how he got Paul before Agrippa, and then we'll put him before the most powerful man in the world at the time. Paul was traveling in chains, and yet those he was meeting before were growing more and more important and powerful in worldly terms. Now, the second reason I wanted to incorporate Proverbs 18.16 is to remind us that the great man in this scene is the one in chains, not the one on the throne. Now, the gift of Judean kingship came to Agrippa as an inherited position, and it has now brought him before the great Apostle Paul. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus reminds us, whoever exalts himself will be what? 
humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I am sure that Agrippa and Bernice seem like the exalted ones in the world's eyes. And they were. But Festus adds to this by saying, I didn't know what to say to Caesar when I write him a letter that would accompany Paul to Rome. So I brought him before you, especially you, King Agrippa, so that you could tell me what to write to Caesar. And Festus is feeding the ego of this too. And this wasn't all flattery, but it's clear that all the bloviating had a desired end that Festus didn't want to send Paul to Caesar as his Roman right demanded that he do without any valid charges against him. Now, 26, 1 to 3, we're going to find that Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy. Remember who's wearing the chains? I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Now, Agrippa was more aware of the customs and questions of the Jews and whether or not Festus was truly after justice and thus leaned on the wisdom of Agrippa, we cannot say and do not know. But he clearly didn't want to be thought a fool by sending someone to Caesar without charges, valid charges against him. Now, From the midst of all the pomp and ceremony and the juxtaposition of little Paul standing before a man great in the eyes of the particular region he was in, here's our final reminder. Listen this morning. Keep looking up. The darker the hour, the sooner we'll be with Jesus. Keep looking up. The darker the hour, the sooner we'll be with Jesus. Listen, things were progressing towards Paul toward Paul's home going. He would soon write he had finished the race to Timothy. He had soon tell Timothy he had kept the faith. He would also remind Timothy to preach the word. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 5, Paul says to the church that he was at, as we found earlier in Acts, for three Sabbaths, three weeks he was there in Thessaloniki. He said, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves... No, perfectly. In other words, Paul taught prophecy in the three weeks he was there. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say what? Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman or suddenly, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. I'll wait here for more than that. That's good news today. Listen, Paul would live the last four years of his life going from one ugly scene and circumstance to another. And yet he never quit looking up. He was not of the darkness, nor are we. How do we know? Paul's life and the scene before us gives us a great example. Paul's life was rich. Paul was full. He said he was happy to be addressing Herod Agrippa II, who had a rather uh, dark family history. History tells us that Herod died childless at 70 years old. 
And while the Bible records nothing of Paul's death, either the, the means or the date, the historian Eusebius said Paul died at the hands of Nero in 67 or 68 A.D. by the practice of beheading. Now, here's what's important to know about the deaths of these, deaths of these two men. In Acts 26, 24 to 27, as he made his defense, thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Do people think we're crazy for believing in Jesus today? Of course they do. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you, what's the next word? You. You is not the next word. The next word is almost persuade me to be a Christian. By the way, there's no such thing as an almost Christian. You either are a Christian or you are not a Christian. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. Philippians 1, 21 to 23, Paul would say, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? Far better. Agrippa died unprepared for death. Paul died not only ready, he died knowing it was far better. And listen, there are things growing, or things are growing darker and darker by the day in which we live. And thus we could well say the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Jesus is coming for us soon. So as things grow darker, what do we do? Keep looking up. Keep our eyes on the prize. Look to the mountain from whence comes our help. Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth who is coming to rescue his bride soon. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's where you say, Amen. Amen. Father, we are again grateful for the encouragements of your word. Thank you for the boldness of Paul. And thank you, Lord, that he never wavered, even in his humanity, as he spent the last four-plus years of his life awaiting his own execution. Yet he remained faithful to your word, and he even saw death as an upgrade to an experience far superior than what we have in this life. So, Lord, help us uh, to walk in these times with all these threats and hype, and fear going on around us to remember that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. No matter who sits across the table from us or the judgment seat towering over us, Lord, we thank you that in you we are the strong and the mighty. And Lord, I pray in these days where many are living in fear that we as Christians Certainly wouldn't be foolish and put you to the test, but Lord, that we would be wise and discerning and speak the truth in love, even though it's largely rejected today. We thank you for the things we've encountered. Help us, Lord, as we make our way through life to keep our eyes lifted above the moment and place firmly on you. We give you thanks for our time and your word. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.